Welcome to the Sabbath School Rescue Podcast with your host, Buster Swoops and Michael Campbell. This week in preparation for Sabbath, April 29th, we look at Lesson 5, The Good News of the Judgment. Together, let's realize that we have nothing to fear with Jesus Christ on our side at the judgment. The Sabbath School Rescue Podcast is hosted by Michael Campbell and Buster Swoops at Southwestern Adventist University. We love learning and sharing God's Word, and together we have 18 years of pastoral experience, and now we have the privilege to dig deeper into this study. Here we are, Lesson 5, The Good News of the Judgment, Revelation 14, verse 7. Sing with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made the heaven and earth and sea and springs of water. Once again, Revelation 14, 7. There's a lot in that verse. Yes, there is. And it wants to highlight today the good news of the judgment. And keep that in mind that this is good news. Another name for good news is the gospel, the gospel of the judgment. Uh, the reason why... Jesus is saying, I've died, uh, I've lived, died, and sacrificed uh, to save as many people as possible. And the judgment is distinguishing who chooses to be saved and who chooses not to be. You know, I just don't usually think of uh, the judgment as good news. So I'm I'm glad to hear that. So what can we do to help unpack that and understand that? Because I think um, naturally, whenever I hear of judgment, um, I'm... Uh, I'm thinking of a speeding ticket and having to go to court. (laughs) (laughs) I've never seen that I've ever had that happen or anything. Yeah, I've never seen you say, hey, good news. What's up, Michael? I get to go to court. (laughs) (laughs) Even when I get called for jury duty, I'm like, do I have to? I know I want to be a good citizen, do my part, but do I have to? Yeah, no, I've never heard anyone say that's good news either. I got selected for jury duty. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, so Michael. Tell, tell us about the significance of the judgment hour. Well, in eschatological terms, fancy term for end time events, big picture, you know, great controversy, cosmic conflict between Christ and Satan. There is going to be a specific uh, time or period of time uh, with the Bible, you know, what was referred to here as the judgment hour, right? And that's what verse seven of Revelation 14, the give fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment. So the first thing I think that's really important is that we need to understand. Oh, it's not my judgment or, or your judgment. It's, yeah, it's I know. Not our right? judgment. His judgment. <laughs> yeah. So is we're not the ones really that are on trial. I know some people like to teach that and think that and there is an element where we play a role right. in the end time events and judgment and stuff like that. But, but it's, we're not the object of scrutiny we're not who everyone is after right and if you get that you know depending on who the hot seat is in the trial you realize oh wait a minute i'm not the one that's in the hot seat i'm not the one that that everyone's going after right so to speak that then maybe um maybe it it becomes less of a threatening kind of idea and more of something where we can realize okay uh, his judgment hour, we realize that something of, of cosmic proportions is going on here, that there is something really, uh, really significant. So, sure. um, yeah. So, so and, and by the way, as the judgment unfolds, we are not only seeing a window into eternity and into heaven and the plan of salvation, but we also get a window into uh, who God is. You know, um, how he's dealt with the problem of sin and evil um, and the plan of redemption itself. And so all of these things are under uh, scrutiny and um, have eternal ramifications. So uh, which means that if this focus is really, you know, his judgments, it's 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 
you know, God, really, um, Jesus, that, that uh, here through the end time events is the focus, the character of God and, and his, uh, uh, the integrity of, of the government of God, you know, is, is I think there's a 19th century term. Uh, my friend Nick Miller likes to refer to it a lot, the moral government of God, you know, mm-hmm. the, this is a, the idea that was very prevalent in the late 17, 1800s. And, uh, and, and this is what we're seeing again, is, is God fair? Is his judgment just? Is he a moral being? And uh, so that brings us to Monday's lesson, which is God's mercy and judgment. Um, how, how do those tie together, Buster? Yeah, it simply asks this question, how are we judged and what relationship do our good works have to our salvation? And Revelation 20, verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Uh, and so it's, it's interesting you see here because you say, uh, you see that there's another book open, the book of life, and there was the book, uh, and the dead were judged according to their works. But from what my understanding is that book of life is also saying that those of us who saved it, it t- talks about redeemed by the blood of the lamb, right? Mm. Uh, and, and listen here, I will say this vehemently. I'll go to the grave with this. Our works do not save us. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm positive, <laughs> 110%. Uh, for by grace you're saved through faith and not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. Okay. But later on in that same chapter in Ephesians chapter two, it says, God, uh, uh, that you should walk in good works, which God prepared for us beforehand. Mm. Right. But those works aren't saving us. And yet those works are, are identifying marker of God, of God's people. Because if you follow him, those good works will follow. And as a matter of fact, uh, we're looking at the book of Revelation and, and Revelation chapter uh, 14, verse 3, I believe it is Michael. Mm-hmm. And I'm turning there myself. Uh, technology once again. Uh, <laughs> oh, actually, it's, it's uh, 13. Okay. Uh, talking about here's the patience of the saints. But then right to that, then I heard a voice from heaven saying, blessed uh, saying to me, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Yeah. Right. So what we do follows us. And, and we see that uh, I'm going to speak spe- uh, from secular terms right now, but Shakespeare's works literally followed him. Right. That's true. All right. All right. I'll speak. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci, his works followed him. Albert Einstein, his work followed him. Yeah. Uh, the things that he left behind and the legacy he left, the, the legacies they left behind followed them. Mm. Uh, you find some people where, I, I, I mean, it was, it was crushing to me in grade school to find out that this iconic figure I, I looked up to was Martin Luther King Jr. And then I found out some troubling things of his past as well, right? Mm. His works followed him, like our yeah. works follow us. And, and what this is saying is, is uh, especially in the terms of Revelation 20, verse 12, I saw the dead and that, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. That there is this, this measuring line, but yeah. Yeah. I don't want the audience to be afraid of that line because he who has the son of God has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. And when you have the son, you'll have the works as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. In other words, don't focus in on the works, 
focus in on the son, focus in on the relationship with God and your works will follow. It's just a, a matter of time. And you might have a life like David who messed up in a large and huge way and yet still followed after the lamb wherever he went. Uh, and so though his focus was not on his works, his focus was in on having a relationship with the creator. And so please let that be your, uh, your focus on having that relationship and the works will follow and there'll be good sure. works. Yeah. All right. So tell us about the magnificent scene, a magnificent scene, Michael. Tuesday's lesson. So it takes us back to the prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter seven, which is what the history of the different kingdoms of the world, right? So kind of like a big picture history of, of, of how of the world world history unfolds. And that's, that's, that's fairly well known, especially in Adventist circles, right? But, but uh, then at the end, towards the end here, we have um, verses nine and 10 uh, that talks about describing this judgment scene. It says, the thrones were set in place and the ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming fires. Its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And so uh, we have clearly described for us us, the heavenly judgment scene, right? So, that, by the way, it's kind of intense, you know. Yeah. Rivers of fire flowing. Just a little, just a little. What is that, Buster? You know, that, I'm starting to get worried. I feel like I'm in, in Hawaii, you know, uh, with with the vol volcano. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what that is, but but it's intense, and this is this is something extraordinary, right? And uh, and uh, uh, the books were open, the court was seated. So clearly, this this is judgment. And, and then at the end of this passage here, verse 13, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. So this judgment scene is describing something that happens immediately right before Jesus comes mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. And and that's what we have um, and in Adventism. We, we talk about this in various times and places. And by the way, some people, some people ask, you know, is the, this in Adventism, we call this concept, the investigative judgment, the judgment that happens right before preparing a people and, and right before uh, Christ returns. So we, we call this the investigative judgment. Um, and, and so what we see happening here is, is of, of utmost significance. But um, once again, uh, the central focus, according to Daniel, is what? It's Jesus. It's the presence of Jesus. Um, yes, and, and so we have to keep that in mind. It, it, it's an incredible scene described for us, um, uh, what's going on. But, but what's more important isn't the you know the things that we've been talking about it's it's the process that that helps people see the plan of salvation and that's really at the heart of what all of this is about because um, otherwise we get kind of kind of get uh, scared even yeah you know, we do hey am I gonna make it through you know am I you know kind of make it real you know coming back to the speeding ticket scenario <laughs> am I gonna get hit with the you know, with the extra fine, you know, or right. whatever. God, God doesn't want us cowering all of our lives, wondering if we're going to be saved, paralyzed and not doing the gospel message or not spreading the gospel message like he's called us. 
moment by moment. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we can have confidence. We can have hope because we know um, what the judgment actually is and what it's about and that we don't have to be afraid. And by the way, there really is a judgment. Some people say, well, is it really in the Bible? Well, yes, we find the judgment described for us in scripture. We see little bits and pieces of it. From that, we can clearly see the idea of a judgment is a very scriptural um, idea, but it has um, uh, uh, portentous implications for salvation history. Uh, more so than I think it probably has for you and me every day. I, I hope we're not hope obsessing not. about, oh my goodness, I just messed up. I'm not going to make it again, you know? And, and if you have that kind of mentality, um, I think you, you've kind of missed the whole point of what it's about. Instead, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's about a relationship and being in relationship with God. And, um, and what's happening, what's being described here is big picture, macro, plan of salvation kind of stuff where, you know, yeah, there is an investigation, there's a preparation. And the best part, the good news is Jesus comes again. And so this is sort of a, a foretaste um, and leads to ultimately the return of Christ, which gives us a glimpse into heaven. Yeah. So Revelation 4, uh, verse 2 through 4, mm-hmm. is, comparative, uh, is compared to here, Michael, to Daniel chapter 7, which you, you just read. And it's a little bit different uh, picture here. Revelation 4 says, uh, Immediately I saw in the Spirit, I, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one who sat on the throne, and who who sat there was like a jasper and a star stone in appearance. And there's a rainbow around the throne, an appearance like an emerald. And, th- and the throne, uh, and around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. I don't know about you, Michael, but that one doesn't scare me as nearly as much as the one you read right, previously, right? right? <laughs> but it asks us, what similarities do you see here? It says, well, obviously there's a throne room scene, yeah. but God the Father is the one who's sitting on the throne. He's surrounded by these heavenly beings, but uh, there is thunder and lightning symbolizing God's judgments. Uh, right, but we notice in Revelation four, verse four, the twenty-four elders, mm. and it goes into who are the twenty-four elders. Well, uh, I don't exactly want to get there because I want to stick to this glimpse of heaven. What a peaceful and serene scene this is, mm. and what hope we find here as well of, of recognizing that there is a Creator, and there are things He is wanting to see, and one of the things He wants to see is an end and an eradication to sin. Wow. Uh, he wants to see an end to death and destruction, mm-hmm. and He is asking everyone to choose which side they stand on, mm-hmm. the side of the Creator or the side of death and destruction, the enemy, the yeah. father of lies. Are you going to be deceived or are you going to receive the actual truth and life that God is trying to give us? And that is what the judgment is about. It's about which side do people choose to stand on? Mm-hmm. They choose this, uh, the side which is love or they choose the side of deception and disgrace. Wow. And so as we look at that, heaven is a place where that is over with. There's no more death. There's no more deception. There's no more disgrace. There's only uh, this beautiful scene that we see here. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be uh, crowned with crowns of victory and throw them at the feet of Jesus Christ. And so, Michael, tell us about Jesus who is worthy. 
Yeah, I was just thinking of your, as you're talking about that, can't wait to see, actually see heaven. It's going to be so amazing. So, uh, but coming to Jesus being worthy, you know, if Jesus is truly the object of, of the judgment and everything else that we've been talking about, ultimately, it's Jesus that is vindicated. And and, and this is important because I, I think we get this uh, a little bit mixed up. Um, I know in Adventism, we have a, a concept that sometimes is bantered around um, as last generation theology. Oh. And and there Pretty will careful. be a last generation. So there is a last generation theology, but, but it's not because God's people somehow pull themselves up by the bootstraps and how perfect they are. Rather, it's quite the opposite. It's because they recognize how great God is. And so this is where Jesus, Jesus is worthy. It's Jesus who's the center of the object of all of this. And and ultimately, when the plan of salvation concludes, we find that, yes, indeed, the, the moral government of God is just, it's true, it is fair, yeah, God yes, is, is fair, and Jesus is worthy of our love, worship, adoration, and everything else. Yes. And um, and that's why I say last generation theology, there will be a last generation, but they're the ones who recognize the character of God so fully, so much, that they just give all absorbing attention. They, they, they give God the glory, the credit for which he is due. And, um, and so, um, yeah, I, I sometimes tell people playfully, I believe in last generation theology, <laughs> but I believe it as it is focused on Jesus, Amen. as it is focused on Jesus. And by the way, some people will say, well, what about this or that? I'm not talking about anybody alive right now. Cause I, I know sometimes people are debating these kinds of things. I'm a historian. So I like to talk about people in the past, but the, uh, the challenge has been a hundred years ago. You look at some people that were teaching what we call last generation theology that was focused on themselves. If they could only do it everything was. perfect, Buster, if they could just follow the health reform message perfectly or address reform or certain theological ideas, if they could just do everything perfectly enough, then they could make Christ come again. And that's really a distortion of the good news of how Jesus is worthy. Because if Jesus is worthy, he's not waiting on you and me to be good enough or perfect enough. Because frankly, It'll never happen. We'll be in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'll never happen. We'll be in trouble because none of us are good enough or perfect enough. But Jesus is. Jesus is. And when we surrender our hearts and lives to him, that is the, the Christ-centered approach to the ideal of what here is 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 taught for us in, in scripture. And really, um, last generation theology at its best is, if properly understood and balanced, is it's recognizing Jesus is worthy. That is 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 what we're trying to get after, and um, and so the emphasis needs to be on Christ and not on me, because Jesus. As it says, Jesus is the one that's worthy. And we've already read the passage, Revelation chapter 5, but the end of the passage, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth Amen. and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Everything. 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 Yes. And that's, so that's who Jesus is. Jesus is. is worthy because he, in for us, has done everything possible to make sure we can be saved. And he is everything. He is the sustainer of everything. And when it's understood properly, it's all about Jesus. Amen. 
Well, we're flying through this lesson. It's been great to spend some time with you, Buster. Uh, Same. Have a couple lessons we got to actually record in person. For those of you that are listeners, you know, we've been different parts of the country, but every once in a while we get a chance to actually get together. So it's been fun to spend some time with you, Buster. And we invite our listeners to join us each week as we unpack the Sabbath school lesson. So until next week, this is Soup. And Swoops. Signing out. As we put a wrap on this week's lesson, this is Campbell Swoops signing off. By the way, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, the Southwestern Union of Seventh-day Adventists and Southwestern Adventist University, which has for over 125 years provided a Christ-centered education just 20 minutes south of Fort Worth, Texas. We love teaching with personal colleagues, offer quality academics, and provide numerous ways to get involved both on campus and across the globe. To learn more, visit swahu.edu or check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, be sure to join us again next week as we continue to explore God's Word. You can make sure not to miss an episode by joining us at sabbathschoolrescue.org.